Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season. I'm your choice, days of bowl, read my TV history, the best college games you'll ever see. There's nothing else like bowl, read the Yuletide fantasy, tailbacks are sweeping, quarterbacks are throwing, whistles are falling, head coaches screaming, fourth down and long, three wise men, two overtime oh, fans, football feast, it's the best week on TV. Capital One Bowl League. And the kick is blocked, the college football world. What's up, Degeneration? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the college football bowl betting preview part one. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Just to remind everyone, once again, as I just said, this is part one. We will have three more of these before the national title game. Part two will release next Monday, December 20th. We'll be covering games through Christmas. Part three will release on the following Monday. December 27th, covering games through December 30th. And then part four will release on Thursday, December 30th, covering New Year's Eve, New Year's Day Bowls, and the college football playoff. What we will get to today are the nine bowl games of this weekend, two on Friday, six on Saturday, and one on Monday. It is the most beautiful time of the year. Are you ready to rock and roll, Colin? It's eating season. Like we uh, we've got coaches all over the place. We've got I, I don't know how the NFL has got so much COVID out this weekend. We haven't had any bowl COVID hit us yet. I think that's one thing I'm kind of been happy about, at least so far as of this recording. But there is plenty of movement. Uh, Lane Kiffin was right. We are in the free agency era of college football. The whole landscape has changed. Yep, it certainly has. It's wild out there. And that that'll leave me in before we get to the games. I have an article out there on bowl betting tips just to highlight them quickly because we're going to get to a lot of this stuff. Nose playing and coaching. I have a file up there. I'm constantly refreshing. This year is crazy with that transfer portal, the coaching carousel, opt-outs for the draft, injuries, et cetera, et cetera. You got to know who's in there. Motivation matters. That's half the battle in capping bowl games. It's more art than science, but a couple tips. Service academies, we'll talk about that a lot. I've covered 70% of the time. They're always going to show up. 70% of the time, last 40 years, teams with very poor records the year before, usually a good bet. Teams that won zero to three games the previous year, 27 to nine against the spread over the past six years. Teams that just get to 500 or are 500 generally seem to have a little bit more motivation to have a winning season. They're about 65% as an underdog when they won their final game to get to six wins against teams that obviously aren't. Haven't coaching matters too. You see that 
teams that have a coaching edge and experience have covered historically better than when they have that coaching experience edge. And I think that speaks to, you know, learning, all right, how do I handle the bowl preparation and avoiding the distractions and timing everything right? Respect the market. You know, a lot of people out there know more than you, I, and everyone here. There's a lot of information that gets leaked out and it isn't, doesn't come public. Look at the pit line, for example. It's suggesting Kenny Pickett's going to sit, even though we haven't received any information. Location, know where the bowls are played. Right. You can, is there a regional advantage for travel or fans? Is there weather to look out for? Is the team familiar with that venue? Shop around as always, get the best number. Uh, double digit dogs, they have more bite in bowl season on the money line in particular. Bowl underdogs between 10 and 20 points have won outright about 26% of the time over the past 15 years. In the regular season, that's about 15% of the time. And that's mainly because you have double digit favorites that sometimes just don't show up. Remember the bowls are exhibitions. So if you plus one and a half, take the plus one and a half. Don't go money line. Minus one and a half, might want to take the money line because teams might just go for two at the end instead of wanting to tie and go to overtime. I like to monitor early conference results. So if a team, you know, if the ACC, for example, is getting crushed, maybe I had that whole conference overrated, underrated, et cetera, and you have to do some adjustments. And then the final one is understand your risk aversion level. We're probably going to have COVID coming. It's impacting every other sport. I wouldn't think. Why would it not impact college football? If you want to bet some of these games early, get in front of some of the moves, or if you have uh, a strong opinion, you might, the market might move against you. And you might, you know, there might be COVID the day of the bowl game, and then you might get screwed. You might also benefit from it. If you're okay with that risk, then go ahead and bet. And if not, you might want to wait till game, game day, but you're probably not going to get ahead of the market if you do that. Um, so those are some of the tips that I have. For betting bowls, I have a piece out there on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. Anything you want to add? Great building blocks. I think a couple other things I would throw in is, does the team know the site? Do they have a regional advantage? Toledo just played in the Bahamas Bowl three years ago. So for the upperclassmen on this team and for some of this coaching staff, they know how to get into town. They know exactly where they're staying. This is routine. I would call that a massive upgrade for Toledo for knowing the park. Another thing, I wouldn't fall too much down the path of interim coaches not being interested or interim coaches. I'm really thinking of LSU. Like everybody is still playing for a job. These players are playing for, you know, NIL deals. These coaches are playing for spots on the staff or maybe another staff somewhere. So it's not like everybody is mailing it in. There are certain instances where you can question it. Like Joe Moorhead's calling plays for Oregon, but he's already got a job at Akron. Uh, there's a lot of that going around here. We're going to talk about a couple of games tonight where everybody's already got a new job, but they're still calling this game. And I think there's a lot of rumors floating around about a lot of the bowl games you and I are going to talk about. These There's players in the portal that are playing in these bowl games. And that just, I, first of all, I didn't even know that was possible. I, I, I know you can lose your scholarship if you enter the portal, uh, but playing in a bowl while in the portal is, is a brand new aspect. Something to watch out for, but Stucky's right. Also with the conferences each season, there's always a conference that ends up getting beat by everybody else. Now, a lot of people used to point every season and say, the Mac is the team that always gets beaten the Bulls. They don't have it. They don't have the athletes. They don't. Listen, odds makers adjust numbers. And in the last two seasons, the Mac has a winning record against the spread uh, over bowl games. So there's just a conference that is not going to stack up against the others. And once you see that out of two or three, and you see some familiar head-to-heads get together, Stuck's right. I mean, there's going to be one we're going to have to pick on week in and week out. Yeah, the Mac narrative, I was on board of that early, mid, you know, 2013, 2014. I mean, they would never cover. And they're 31, 43, and 4, just 42% against the spread of bowls since 2005. 
failing the cover by an average of about four points per game. But since 2015, they're 17, 15, and one against the spread, 53%. And they're six, two, and one against the spread over the past two seasons. So don't get wrapped up in some of the older narratives. All right. Enough of the general stuff. And let's dive into these games. Can we get serious now? We have nine to get to. Let's start on Friday with the Bahamas Bowl in Nassau, noon Eastern on ESPN. What better way to get started than a noon Eastern kick between six and six, Middle Tennessee, and seven and five, Toledo. The Rockets are 10 point favorites here, over under 50. Some of these games I don't have really strong feelings for that we'll get to. This is one I do. I also wrote this up. You can, you'll be able to find it on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. Look, some of the trends suggest, you know, Middle Tennessee State, they got to six wins. They overperformed. They might be a good underdog to back. Also, favorites, double-digit favorites perform worse the earlier the bowl is. And that, I think, speaks to sometimes motivation, right? Some of these bigger favorites, they tend to be good teams that maybe underperform. Now they're in a bad bowl. But I don't think that's the case here for Toledo. I think Toledo does care. Uh, they haven't won a bowl since 2015 they didn't go to a bowl last year i think that these seniors show that they care towards the end of the year especially in that akron game and they started playing well so i think that they will care here and middle tennessee obviously cares so i don't think there's any motivational edge either way but when i look at middle tennessee state you hear they beat monmouth yukon southern miss florida international and florida atlantic right those are an FCS team and then four like FBS two quarterbacks teams. like only yeah. two of those teams have quarterbacks <laughs> 10 and 38 those FBS teams won their one good win over a bowl team was Marshall but in that game Marshall turned it over six times and Middle Tennessee only turned it over twice well that's a trend for Middle Tennessee they are number one in the nation in takeaways number one in interceptions and they recovered 15 of 20 opponent fumbles they also had a fbs high 10 return touchdowns on the season so this is a defense that was fortunate all year long against pretty bad competition the defense is the strength of the team particularly the secondary they have pretty good corners a good safety and read blankenship safeties don't give up too many explosive plays but they can be pushed around in the run game the offense is brutal absolutely brutal they cannot run the ball they're down to the third and fourth string quarterbacks they had their starter get hurt their second string retired from football uh their third string got benched in the last game in a comeback win against florida atlantic so i don't know who they're going to go with here but the offense is not good they have a pretty balanced receiving core but they're going against a toledo defense that is excellent i've raved about it all year long ranked in the top 25 in passing and rush success rate there's really no weaknesses on this toledo defense so when I look at this game, I say, okay, remember, it's in the Bahamas. So there's going to be some wind. And by the way, Toledo, the fewest turnovers in the nation. So they don't turn the ball over at all. They are a run-first team with Kobach. They've been playing a lot better towards the end of the year after they made the switch to Finn, their mobile freshman quarterback. They should have some success running the ball here. I don't think that Middle Tennessee State is going to be able to throw on this Toledo secondary. With this wind, it's like, all right, give me the clearly – superior rush offense in Toledo, the clearly superior rush defense in Toledo. And I think this is just too much of a step up in class for Middle Tennessee. I think Toledo cares. I'd make this line over two touchdowns. I'd like the under down to 50. And I like Middle Tennessee, anything up to 10. Obviously, if you can get below 10, that's preferable. What say you? 
Well, that's what we have to do with these bowl games is we can't come out and say, and, and, and we can't, I think if you're going to listen to a podcast and you're going to get content about how to bet a bowl game, you need to set boundaries because by the time you listen to this, maybe it's three hours, maybe it's the night before the game and maybe you've got us all queued up. And I think we need to set limits as to how far you would buy it to, because these bowl game spreads, they just, they get wild. And you can see with this spread, as we're recording this, all the 10 and a halfs got chipped away. And that makes me wonder if everybody that was buying Toledo at minus seven on open, like I was, if they're like, okay, well now it's time to cover it up. And that's just how we play the game. We play the hedge game. So let's see where this number goes. Uh, I know that I personally make it 12. I know SP plus makes it 13. I know Stuck's got it up there too. Uh, So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you with Toledo. There's some familiarity here with Toledo. Like I said, they lost to FIU in this same place. They know how to travel here for the upperclassmen. And even if the players weren't on the current roster, this Toledo team is great away from home. They covered all but one game on the road this season. Daquan Finn has made all the difference in taking over starting duties in game seven against Central Michigan. Middle to Tennessee, outside the top 100 in stuff rate and line yards, meaning every Toledo rushing attempt, it's four yards. It could be more, but they're going to control the trench all game. As for the offense, the blue for the Blue Raiders, for I don't know, fourth quarterback uh, on the season, the offensive numbers have been really bad for Middle Tennessee. There's no statistical advantages on offense. I would take Toledo up through my power number of 12. It's not key, so maybe 13. But like I said, it's getting snapped back at 10 and a half. So we'll see where this number goes. Stuck's right. You get a nine and a half, take it. It doesn't seem to be sharp money that's really supporting it. It's really just people that are covering up their initial bets now that limits are starting to get higher right now. As far as the wind goes, there's been heavier wind at this bowl before. Right? There's 12 to 14 mile an hour winds and it's all blowing through one end zone. There have been other years at this bowl where it's been 30 mile an hour gusts uh, cross field orientation. What happens is during these Bahamas Bowl is there seems to be some sort of wind steam under every single season. But I think we've seen this total drop just an amazing amount of points when people hear about the wind. Now it's going to be double digits, but it's all in one direction so far from what we see from the forecast. So if we can get it down to 49 or 48, then you know I, I think you're taking an under to that point, but that's it. Uh, I don't think for any reason you would want to think that Middle Tennessee is going to score enough to get an over here. So be be cognizant of that. Yeah, unless this Middle Tennessee turnover luck continues, I just don't see their offense doing much of anything. Hammer the point home even further. Toledo, one of their biggest weaknesses is their pass protection on mm-hmm. passing downs, and Middle Tennessee can't get after the quarterback. So I just think that's a really good matchup across the board. This Toledo running game and the Toledo defense overall are the stars of the show in a game that I think both teams will care. All right, let's move on to the other game on Friday. And that is the Cure Bowl in Orlando, Florida, 630 Eastern on ESPN two between nine and four Northern Illinois and 10 and two coastal Carolina over under 63 and a half. Look, do I need to go into another rant on Northern Illinois the <laughs> biggest fraud in, in the bowls. I think they went seven and two in one possession games. They won, I think four by two or less. They were outscored in conference, negative net yards per play. I mean, in conference too, even if you remove the Michigan game, just fortunate all year long. I mean, 22 of 26 on fourth downs led nation at 84%. That's not, I mean, that's an astonishing number. How about their opponents? 11 for 28 top 25. And all these games are one possession. It's really insane. The defense is maybe the worst of all, any bowl team. It's one of uh, it's a bottom ten defense across the board. Any metric that you look at, look at, 
It looks like Grayson McCall is going to play. He's hinted that he might transfer, but I assume that he's going to play here. I think motivation is equal. Northern Illinois will obviously care after an awful year, really exceeded expectations. It's been a magical year. Thomas Hammock has done a great job with that really young roster, one of the youngest in all of FBS. Coastal Carolina is back at the same bowl for a second straight year, but they lost it last year, and that was their first bowl ever. So they're looking for their program's first ever bowl victory. So, again, double-digit favorite early on the bowl season, but I don't think that this is one where you think that they might not care. You know, when I look at this game, I just say to myself, all right, the Northern Illinois defense is horrendous. The Coastal Carolina defense is not great. The Northern Illinois offense is pretty good, but the Coastal Carolina offense with Grayson McCall is elite. And, I mean, they can run the ball at will. They have many backs that are can just shred on the ground. McCall is you know, from an EPA perspective, was the best quarterback in the country from a passing efficiency perspective. I don't see how Northern Illinois gets any stops, any. Uh, maybe, I mean, they have to forget, hope Coastal gets into fourth and ones and then their voodoo comes into play. <laughs> so I make this line just like the previous game we talked about. And by the way, the, the first game we talked about, there's no key coaching changes or personnel to worry about. This one, Richie, uh, Tyrese Richie, one of Northern Illinois' better receivers, he could play, missed the last four games. That's about it here, assuming that McCall plays. I make this line just like the other one, 15, 15 and a half. I guess I'm going to have to lose money on Northern Illinois one last time to end the year because I just don't see how they get any stops. Yeah, I, I well, we're recording on Wednesday night, and I believe I just read a story from two hours ago published that Grayson McCall is on site and he gave an interview. Essentially, to summarize, this is going to be the last time you see him in a, in a chance uniform. Uh, I mean, McCall stated that his focus is winning this bowl game and that he will be back playing college football next year. That was his exact quote. And I saw a lot of Coastal Carolina Twitter out there excited about his Heisman odds that came out. That's not going to be for your team. Uh, in this in this whole free agency thing, Grayson McCall is worth so much to that transfer portal. If he ends up on a team, I'm just saying keep your eyes open. When Heisman odds come out, or if you can catch an old Heisman line, if Grayson McCall – becomes quarterback of a team that is capable of getting to the college football playoff. You might want to think about shoving something over on a 40 or 50 to one. I'll just keep it at that because he said today, my focus is winning this bowl. You will see me in college football next year. And what that meant to me was I'm going to give Northern Illinois everything I possibly can. If this is my last game to suit up with my teammates that I've been with through the pandemic, through everything, this coastal Carolina team has been, you know, such a, had such a special place for our podcast. Roll fucking chance, baby. You know, so I think with free agency pulling him away, you know, look for look in this cure bowl. It should be a slow tempo. Both these teams are outside the top 100 in place per minute. Both teams run the ball at least 63% of snaps. So the question is, is can the defenses control the line of scrimmage? Northern Illinois defense, like you said, absolutely horrendous at almost everything. There's, there's no stat inside the top 100. And Grayson McCall is facing a defense that is 122nd in standard down success rate. So while Coastal is a methodical offense, they're pretty explosive too with Grayson McCall. I mean, they can score ASAP against this Northern Illinois. I, I, the total is like... How many catches? Likely he's going to have like 280 yards. Absolutely. So the Coastal drives are going to end up in touchdowns every single time. The chance are sixth in finishing drives. The question is, is can NIU counter? That's where the handicap really comes in. And the biggest issue with the chance, and I said this last year, and I said it this year, is if you can rush, you can challenge Coastal. So the games that they've struggled or lost the past two years, it's because the opponent can run. NIU has Javon Decker, uh, you know, and 
They're 59th in stuff rate, but that's better than Coastal's defensive numbers in stuff rate. They're 79th. So even though Northern Illinois isn't burning the world, you know, on the ground, they have better numbers running the ball than what Coastal has on deep. The Huskies are going to try to move the ball. The key to beating them is getting Rocky Lombardi in passing downs. I assume he's going to be healthy after that last game of the season. Um, but, you know, Coastal has a, has a pass rush that ranks 11th in the nation. So the Rocky Lombardi uh, uh, turnover effect could be, you know, in full force here. But, you know, my projections for this game is Coastal 14. You and I had this talk before. I don't, I don't understand the spread. The spread initially at 10 and 10 and a half told me Grayson McCall isn't playing. I made it 14. Again, SP Plus is a 20. We had this argument about, is Grayson McCall worth 10 points? I'm not sure that's true with Bryce Carpenter on, on the list, but uh, I personally put in a play and shoved money over the counter on Coastal Carolina over 37 points. Reasons being, I agree with Stuck. They're going to score in every possession. Sixth in offensive finishing drives means you're going to get touchdowns every time. The explosive factor is there. The success rate factor is there. And frankly, if Grayson McCall has told everybody in that locker room, this is the last time I'm playing with you, I don't know why they would ever stop scoring. And Jamie Chadwell has not won a bowl game. And so this is a big deal for me. It's team total over Coastal Carolina. Uh, you can mess with this point spread if you want. I would stop at probably 13 or 14. And that back door is always going to be open for these guys. And they do have an avenue because they can run the ball to keep to stay at least stay within two possessions of this game. Yeah, they could always get in the back door. Maybe I'll, I'll join you there on the team total as well. And then I won't have to worry about Northern Illinois right. voodoo on fourth downs. All right, uh, let's move on to Saturday, and we'll start with 11 a.m. Eastern, the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl in Boca Raton, Florida. Boca, you always want to look at the weather, too, see if there's any uh, rain or wind. Uh, we're talking Western Kentucky. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth. Western Kentucky against Appalachian State. Appalachian State is a three-point favorite over under 67 and a half. This game, as I said, is 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN. Motivation. While we start there, I think it's about even here. I don't think there's any major edge either way. App State, by the way, is 6-0 and all time in bowl games. The highest win percentage ever. Western Kentucky, 4-3 and three as a program at the FBS level. They lost last year. One thing to keep in mind, Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi. The question is, where is he going to go pro? Is he going to opt out? You know, you had their offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, take the job at Texas Tech, the same position. However, Kitley is staying to call plays. Zappi is going to play. You know, they had Mason Brooks, their all-conference Offense tackle, entered the transfer portal. So did their receiver, Mitchell Tinsley, of 80 catches, 13 yards, 12 touchdowns. But they both said they're going to play. So it's basically like, hey, we're going to keep the band together one last time. It's all these Houston Baptist guys. So Western Kentucky, it seems like they're going to, they want to go out on top and one last party. They're really going to care here. There are some assistants that won't be coaching. Their co-offensive coordinator, Brian Ellis, took the OC job at Georgia Southern. The offensive line coach, Stephen Hamby, joined Texas Tech staff. They won't be there. A couple defensive losses, Western Kentucky. Their defensive tackle, Jeremy Darwin, is just huge in the run game. He got hurt early against UTSA. He's out. He had surgery. Starting linebacker, Will Ignat. He didn't play the last two games due to injury. I think he's out again as well. One of their uh, best corners is also in the transfer portal, but he's going to play. So it seems like everyone cares and wants to win this game. Uh -huh. On the app state side, 
Corey Sutton, one of their best receivers, he will miss this game after undergoing surgery. When I look at this game, the Western Kentucky, we talked about Western Kentucky. They really should, I think, should have won that UTSA game, but their defense is playing a lot better in the second half of the year. They got healthier, made some schematic changes. Their offense has been rolling. I mean, they were just dominating teams. It's strength on strength when they're going up against the App State defense. And on the other side of the ball, App State, they haven't really run the ball that well this year. Chase Bryce has been okay at times, and that's kind of been the strength of their team. Western Kentucky's better in the secondary than they are in the run defense. So it's trying to figure out how that dynamic is going to work. At the end of the day, I know that Western Kentucky really cares here. I think you're going to get everything they have from a playbook standpoint. By the way, Zappy Hour uh, is at 57 touchdowns. Joe Burrow has a single season record of 60. So you can break that record here. Ultimately, I say, look, I got Zappy with three points and with a three in my pocket against Chase Bryce, who I just ultimately don't trust in a game that I make a coin flip. I think I might have uh, one last dance after the disappointment of the bowl game with the toppers. What say you? I might be against you. And, you know, really, it, w- it was your piece. And I- I'm telling everybody, direct yourself to Sucky's piece about who's in, who's out, coaches, players, everything. And he and, and Stuck is right. There's a lot of Western Kentucky players that are in the portal, but they're going to play this game. Defensive back Beanie Bishop is on Twitter right now, like <laughs> retweeting Old Dominion. Like, thank you for the offer. Thank you for the offer. Like, everybody's sending him offers, and he's just retweeting and saying thank you. I mean, it's it's crazy what's going on with Western Kentucky. But I think it's important to know that Western Kentucky is dealing with a lot of off-field issues. But besides the coaching staff, Besides the players, besides what's going on here, Western Kentucky, uh, you know, where they're at location in the state of Kentucky just went through a massive uh, tornado event that ripped through and, 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 you know, killed a lot of people. And it wasn't really that far away from campus. Uh, there's been a ton of personal time spent on relief funds, uh, setting those up for people that were affected in the area by that. So I'm not sure how much of that is on their minds, along with the fact already having one foot out the door and leaving the program. So I would just say from a whole focus perspective, it's more you can question Western Kentucky versus, you know, questioning whether App State, uh, who's got their full focus on this game. But you're right. Zach Kitley is going to call this before he goes to Texas Tech, going to return back to Texas after being at Houston Baptist. I would be shocked if Bailey Zappi isn't in the portal the day after this game. Uh, When we talk about free agency, this is him and Grayson McCall are going to be the two biggest in the market. So, you know, where is his mindset about breaking Joe Burrow's record versus hitting the portal the next day? I think you're right. I think, I think they'll be fired up. So I think. So what makes you like App State? It's your piece. The two coaches that won't be there, co-offensive quarter, Brian Ellis and offensive line coach, Stephen Hamby do not want to have problems against this App State front seven. Is App State going to be able to contain that potent passing attack? The Mountaineers are 28th in coverage. They're 23rd in passing success rate. They get to the quarterback in passing downs. So maybe they'll have some success against Zappi. And, and, you know, the issue is that they're 119th in defensive pass EPA. So Zappi's going to get those three touchdowns. I guarantee you. They're going to be bombs. But if they get behind the line of scrimmage or the long snapper is throwing it over Zappi's head or the offensive line has any problems, App State is number one in the nation in defensive havoc. Number one, Western Kentucky has to have a clean sheet here. And that's why with the offensive line coach not being there and not being able to make adjustments in game, that would make me a little bit worried if App State figures out how to crisscross stunts with their defensive interior, uh, hide their blitz packages. I I would be worried about Western Kentucky making those changes on the fly. So App State's going to be able to run all day on this Western Kentucky defense. We know that. We said that about Army. The Hilltoppers are bottom 10 in stuff rate, 95th in rushing success rate. 
if head coach Sean Clark of the Mountaineers, if he wants to slow this game down, they have a tempo 79th and drain clock, he's going to be able to do it. And the biggest advantage in this game is finishing drives. App State is top 15 on both sides of the ball. Western Kentucky 102nd defensively. I have lived the pain of best bets on big bets on campus Saturday, best bets of podcast, best bets of being on Western Kentucky, of having to hedge a conference USA title and Western Kentucky's lining up and kicking field goals all game. There's frustration here with what's going on in the red zone with Western Kentucky on both sides. The power ratings for me make this a pick. That's where I'm a little hesitant on this whole app state minus three. I think with the Bailey Zappi chatter, I think with the attention they're getting, the public is falling in love with this kid. The Joe Burrow stats getting thrown around a lot more. I think the numbers are going to come off three. So I, I've kind of—I don't think it's going to come up. I don't think Western Kentucky is going to get any more points. They might turn into a public darling here. I want the team that's going to dominate in the trench. That's App State. I want the team that's number one in havoc. That's App State. And with Western Kentucky not having their offensive line coach to adjust, that would make me really worried about backing the, the Hilltoppers here. Chase Bryce, good luck. Um, <laughs> it's another yeah. <laughs> pick your poison here. All right, let's move on to later on in the afternoon for the PUBG. What is that, a video game? Ask Grandma. I have to ask Grandma. I have no clue. PUBG New Mexico, uh, New Mexico Bowl in Albuquerque between the 7 and 5 UTEP Miners and the 9 and 3 Fresno State Bulldogs. Fresno's an 11.5 point favorite here over under 51. This game will be played 215 Eastern on ESPN. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. From a motivational perspective, I think this is one game where I think you can say UTEP does have a motivational edge. Uh, they haven't won a bowl game since 1967. You know, Fresno State, I think they have bigger aspirations this season than playing UTEP. So this could be one game where, you know, the favorite doesn't show up. Maybe uh, if you like UTEP and you think so, you might want to sprinkle a little money line on Minor Nation, you know that Fresno State lost their head coach, Kalen DeBoer. He recently took the same job at Washington, and he took offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb with him. So you will have Kirby Moore, Kellen Moore's brother, calling plays for the first time in his career. And Lee Marks, the running backs coach, will be the interim coach. Jeff, they did recently hire Jeff Tedford, who will take over after the bowl game. And the craziest story on here is Jake Hayner originally announced he would transfer and then said he would not. And then I grabbed, I had a good number on UTEP, and then who knows now? Uh, you have a better number than me. I have plus 13 and a half. They don't know. They said that because he, like, abandoned the team, they don't know, but he has a chance. All three quarterbacks listen on the depth chart, him and then two freshmen, Logan Fife and Jalen Henderson. And then the, the interim coach said, you're not going to know until game time. I'm not making it public. So who knows? But when I do look at this game, I know that UTEP will have the motivation their defense has been excellent all year. That's been the star of the show for UTEP. It's the defense. On offense, really inefficient offense. They can't run the ball at all. You got to worry about havoc for Fresno. They can really get in the backfield. But the one weakness of Fresno's defense is giving up explosive passing plays. They're outside the top 100. That's where UTEP gets all their offense, explosive pass plays. Cowing, their receiver is excellent. Hardison can really make some plays happen down the field. That's where UTEP has to load. It's going to be inefficient, inefficient. Got to hit a big play. The question is, does Fresno State show up? Does Jake Hader end up playing quarterback? Because it's a huge drop-off between Hayner and then one of these freshmen. Yes. Um, so, uh, tough game to handy guy. I'm stuck with my UTEP position. I, I could I could have bought off, but it's a bowl game, and I, I do question some motivation here with Fresno. So, I'm probably going to keep it, um, even though I don't show the most value with Hayner. Uh, I would assume maybe I prop most likely playing. What are your thoughts here? 
I don't think he's playing. I don't think he's playing. Uh, the bowl confidence piece that I put out uh, when I went a little in depth on the video that he cut, specifically in the video that he cut to his teammates, he said, I'll see you guys in 22. Apparently, it's going to be a team vote. Uh, the team is not too happy. And the rumor on the street isn't so much that it was his relationship with Tedford that brought him back out of the portal. It was the fact that he decided to enter himself in the portal and then found out that he couldn't get a waiver granted. You know, so with whatever status that he has, you know, before from moving teams, he wasn't going to be granted a waiver. And if you want to play next year, you got to pull yourself out of the portal. So now you're cutting uh, video apologies and you're saying, I'll see you in 22. Now, maybe we see him on the field 90 minutes before the game. And that'll be the time to, you know, add your position against UTEP if you want. But from all indications that I've seen, that's it's, he's not going to play, you know, the, well, the, then I love my UTEP. I love my UTEP bet too. I, I'm on. Yeah. I got, I mean, I got a great number on open. I was like, this, this is a banger. Uh, they haven't, UTEP hasn't won a bowl game since the Lyndon Johnson administration. I know early money, sharp money was on UTEP and they liked it because of the defense and because of Hayner and because of DeBoer, all these reasons. The issue is, is that UTEP still gives up explosive plays, but that's what brings me to the handicap where I still feel comfortable with UTEP. Why? Well, Ronnie Rivers is still on Fresno and we are Ronnie Rivers pro pod, but something down the stretch was maybe it's durability, maybe more of an injury that we didn't know about. But he had 41 missed tackles created on the year. He only created eight missed tackles in his last four games. UTEP is still a team that runs 50% of 7% of downs, but they're really bad at running the ball. And Fresno's top 25 in line yards and stuff rate. So I'm yeah, the one searching. Fresno weakness is giving up explosive pass plays. That's where UTEP yeah. has to live. That's where they do live. They got to hit them. Cowing has to have a huge deck. And they, they give them up in passing downs. It could be third and 15 and boom, UTEP touchdown from 55 out. That's exactly how they're going to get their points. So it's a game I made 17 with Hayner, 11 without him, where it sits now. Uh, it, it's hard for me to handicap Fresno's quarterback situation when the others that are left have 23 passing attempts on the season. But if Ronnie Rivers doesn't have this elusiveness that he didn't have down the stretch, I, I can't see coming back and me hitting Fresno. The total, I, I think I'll be looking over key of 51, 48. Stucky's right. There's going to be explosive plays by UTEP. And once that starts happening, UTEP gives up explosive plays of their own, and this just because could become a bomb fest. But at the key numbers, I'll consider an over, but I'm sticking with my UTEP bet. Same, sir. And let's hope uh, Mr. Hayner doesn't play or end or Fresno doesn't care. All right, let's stay in the afternoon. We're going to introduce another ball game at the same time, so dual, dual bowls for the first time. And the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, between 8-4 and four UAB and 10-2 and two BYU. The BYU Cougars are seven-point favorites over under 54-and-a-half. This game's 3.30 Eastern on ABC. Motivational edge here. I think it's uh, – I think you could argue that UAB has the motivational edge here. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't care uh, in this bowl. Meanwhile, BYU, you know, all they did was beat a bunch of Power 5 teams, dominate the Pac-12, and get pushed out by one spot from a New Year's Six Bowl by uh, Utah, who – BYU beat early in the season. BYU came out and said, like, we came up a half yard short, uh, was a quote I think the AD had. And we were stopped on the one yard, went the one and a half yard line or the half yard line, I think he said. So they obviously, I think, are a little disappointed to be not playing in a bigger bowl. And now you're in Shreveport. Sure. Now you're in yeah. Shreveport, right? I mean, I've been there to Arkansas Missouri bowl game. It's, I mean, this is not what you were wishing for. Yeah. So when I look at this game, uh, look, I, I make this game, I actually make this game, uh, 
under three. So I took the seven as soon as I saw it. The BYU defense has been really underwhelming. If you And they've had some injuries that have really caught up to them, but a lot of their defensive metrics are extremely poor. This is going to be strength on strength when BYU has the ball. BYU's offense has been excellent all year. Their defense is not. UAB, their defense is very good. And their offense is middling. I really like Dylan Hopkins. He's played a lot better at quarterback since taking over. Dwayne McBride is a monster. One of the most the best backs in the country you've never heard of, but I don't think he's going to play. I haven't found out any information. He was in a walking boot like a month ago. He's incredible. I mean, he's averaging like you know, six and a half yards per carry in conference play. Uh, he, he's awesome. So the BYU run D is very bad, and their defensive line can get pushed around. McBride could have a huge day here, but I don't know if he's going to play. I do like Hopkins. I do think he can move the ball here. I think this is, you know, closer to a coin flip game, motivational edge UAB. I took the seven with no hesitation. Wouldn't be surprised if UAB won this game outright. I would love if McBride would play, but I can't get any info on it. But I would I would probably guess no, um, but there hasn't been anything out there yet. But I'm rolling with your Blazers in Shreveport. Are you uh, – you going back to the well here with your boys? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I took them earlier today. Uh, I was waiting on Dwayne McBride news. Also, I've got a. <laughs> I like it when you and I send our birds in flight to try to get some information back, like we're uh, like we're uh, Lord Varys off of Game of Thrones. You know, I mean, like we're trying to get some information here. What's going on, Dwayne McBride? Uh, you know, once we figure out his status, the line's going to move, and if he's playing, it's going to come down. So I like UAB already. Let's go ahead and take it. I don't think if he's not playing, I don't think it's going to end up in and in, in going through seven to seven and a half on a BYU team. So I think it's good if you want UAB, you're going to get it before that news comes out. His backup, Jer- uh, Jermaine Brown, had three TDs to end the season. Uh, I believe that was against UTEP, but he does not have the ability to create missed tackles or break away after contact like McBride. Dwayne McBride, 4.8 yards after contact, Brown just 3.2. So that shows you, you know, the drop off here that we got a running back. It's a pretty big deal. So came in at seven on UAB. Uh, really, you know, the BYU defense has struggled. They struggle in success rate. They're outside the top 100 in stuff rate. They're 87th in tackling. They're allowing. I was shocked how bad it, I was looking at these advanced metrics. It was bad. It's not the team from last year at all. And so, you know, the big handicap in this game is that BYU is not stopping explosive plays and they're near dead last in passing downs. Now, what does that mean? UAB quarterback Dylan Hopkins, who came on the scene and threw some bombs last year, has been so good and taken over the starting position that Tyler Johnson is now in the portal. <laughs> that's how good that's how much Hopkins has this job uh, as, you know, secured. UAB is 13th in passing downs explosiveness. Hopkins, uh, you know, he, he he takes over in game four against Tulane and he ends the season on a 15 to 6 TD to INT ratio. That's going to eat BYU's lunch. The BYU offense runs 55% of the time, but for every stat that I can tell you about Tyler Algier, there's a separate UAB defensive stat that I can counter with. UAB's defense has been fantastic per usual under Bill Clark. BYU is highly successful in two areas, standard down success rate and offensive finishing drives. So the way to attack UAB is in passing downs, but that's not been the forte of BYU. So where the Blazers are weak on defense, BYU has no way to attack that. So I like UAB, six or better. We'll see where this number floats. I saw the six at a sharp shop come back up to a six and a half. Uh, six or better for me on the Blazers. They've covered every game away from home this year, except for one. BYU, they've only covered one game away from Provo this year. 
So there's one team that's very familiar with being on the road. I don't know how you feel about the over-under here. 55 is very key. So I'm a little undecided on the total. I'm away from McBride, but I'm definitely riding UAB no matter the news we get uh, the, the best running back uh, in this game. Yeah, I make it spot on there, but I agree with your your take there that McBride probably does have an impact in, in various ways. The Mormons will travel to uh, the Bible Belt. I think Shreveport is a, it's a, <laughs> one of the Bible Belt cities. Uh, big Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist population. All right, let's uh, stay down south in Mobile, Alabama for the Lending Tree Bowl between 7 and 5 Eastern Michigan and 7 and 5 Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. The Flames are nine and a half point favorites over under 58 and a half. This game will be played 545 Eastern on ESPN. Motivational edge, uh, I say even. EMU is 0-3 in bowls under Chris Creighton. Their last bowl win for Eastern Michigan came in the California Bowl in 1987. They beat San Jose State as 17 and a half point underdogs. However, the three bowls that Creighton has coached in for Eastern Michigan, they didn't win any of them, but they covered all three. They lost by four, two, and four. Mm-hmm. Liberty, meanwhile, is 2-0 and in bowls. They've won, both of them came in the past two years. Still, this is like an up-and-coming program, kind of a chip on their shoulder. I think that they'll carry here. So I don't think there's a motivational edge either way. Malik Willis apparently will play. Some project him as a first-round draft pick. I don't personally see it, but um, he looks like he's going to play and then play in the Senior Bowl. When I So the question is, can Eastern Michigan make it four straight bowls covering? or maybe they can pull off this outright upset. When I look at the handicap from an advanced metrics standpoint, Liberty is better at defending the pass and the run. That's good against Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan can't run the ball. It's really there. They have a couple of really good receivers. Ben Bryant, the Cincy transfer has been good at quarterback. The worst unit in this game by far is the Eastern Michigan run defense is horrifying, horrifying. <laughs> and Liberty has a very good rushing attack. So is that ultimately going to be the difference here? It's just, Eastern Michigan won't be able to stop Liberty's ground game. And then Liberty's pass defense, which is decent, especially compared to its run, D, is going to be able to get a few more stops. What do you see here? Yeah, Chris Creighton 3-0 against the spread in those bowl games, but I don't know if the spread matters. You want to win that bowl game, which he hasn't yet. But Hugh Freeze, 5-1 and one against the spread in his bowl game. So he brings prepared teams. I think that goes back to when we talked about how what Lane Kiffin said of Hugh Freeze, that he's one of the best coaches – in the nation at getting his team prepared for games. And I think that really plays into this here. Uh, I was an early buyer on Liberty. I mean, just, I already knew they were having problems with turnovers. I knew they were problems on the offensive line. And that's just something that Eastern Michigan can't expose whatsoever. So, you know, Liberty, I think something else to acknowledge, like Liberty went over the total just once away from home. They ended the season losing three straight. They didn't cover the last three games. Minus 11 in net turnovers over their last three games. And, you know, EMU ended the season on three straight unders, too. So it's not like these two teams were lighting things on fire. I'm not sure how you don't lay it with Liberty here. And I know that Eastern Michigan, historically under Creighton, every game is one possession. I I think, like, (laughs) there's almost never a game where they win by more than seven or they lose a game by more than seven. But I'm not sure how you don't lay it with Liberty. Liberty didn't, you know, cover or win straight up the last three, but we talked about the turnovers and, you know, Malik Willis is just, he's not getting any protection whatsoever. This offensive line is ranked 54th in pass blocking by PFF. And if you dig a little bit deeper, Liberty's 128th in passing down sack rate. They're near dead last. They can't protect him whatsoever. A little bit is that him leaving the pocket and trying to do too much, but they can't protect him at all. Eastern Michigan's defense, 119th in havoc. 
dead last in stuff rate, 92nd in passing down sack rate. They can't get to him. And if they can, he's he's gone. Gone. So if Malik want, Willis wants to run, he can run. If he wants to pass, he's going to be able to pass. And if he needs time to throw, he's going to get it against a lifeless EMU defense. They have been lifeless on defense and on offense the last three games. Ben Bryant, uh, he just wilted. Uh, against Central Michigan, three turnover-worthy plays to end the season. He had one big-time throw his final three games. I have no clue what happened to the Eagles in Maction in November. Uh, I mean, they have a balanced attack, but they're better in, in passing success rate than they are running the ball. So if Bryant can't get back on track with an offense that's top 25 in finishing drives, Liberty's going to run away with this thing. And Malik Willis is off to the NFL draft, and he's going to need to build that stock. And if Brian can somehow put together drives, you know, the over's in play. So, uh, you know, I think you're looking at the over, but you need Eastern Michigan to do their part. I make this game 54. I think at the key of 59, I, I would look under. The Eagles, like I said, they're just lifeless. And if they switch out of Ben Bryant to Preston Hutchison, then that makes this game a complete grinder on the ground. But the under is really going to hit if Ben Bryant gets pulled for Preston Hutchison. So Liberty is the play for me. I think Malik Willis goes crazy. EMU doesn't have the defense to cause enough havoc uh, to get the turnovers. Again, you are playing on a point spread that's above seven against Eastern Michigan, so tread lightly. Yeah, I still have to mull this one over, so make sure you tune in and check and keep an eye on the Action Network app, see if I have a play here. But good insight there. Let's move on to the primetime Saturday night, the first annual Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl in SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Yes, it's the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl. 10-3 Utah State, the reigning Mountain West champs, will take on 7-5 Oregon State. The Beavers are a 7.5-point favorite here over under 67.5. This game will be played 7.30 Eastern on ABC. Motivational edge, I'd say even. Look, Utah State was good quitting the program last year, one of the worst years ever. They exceeded expectations this year. They're obviously going to care here under Blake Anderson. And this is their ninth bowl game in 11th years, for what it's worth. Oregon State... I mean, they haven't won a bowl game. This is their first bowl game since 2013. They haven't even been one. This is big for the program. So I think both will care. Um, for what it's worth, Oregon State linebacker Avery Roberts, he led the Pac-12 in tackles. He will miss this game due to surgery. And their, their second-leading receiver, Treshawn Harrison, will miss the first half after getting ejected for a fight against Oregon. Uh, look, Utah State, I, I said it before the Mountain West Championship against San Diego State. Little did I know San Diego State would have a massive COVID outbreak and would be without a lot of key players and down 25 guys. But I think that the Utah State team's a fraud. I still think that. Logan Bonner's been great. Look, they have great receivers, especially Tompkins. But this team just – anytime they've stepped up in class, I just haven't been impressed. I mean, they got blown out by Boise, blown out by BYU. Miracle comeback wins against Washington State, Air Force, UNLV. They, you know, get really lucky late. Their quarterback gets hurt. Colorado State. Colorado State misses a field goal to win it. You know, Hawaii, uh, New Mexico State, none of these teams can run the ball, by the way. San Jose State, they get blown out by Wyoming, who puts up 600 yards at, the, you know, at New Mexico, down there like their seventh-string quarterback. Then they play San Diego State, who also has no offense and can't run the ball. I think when you handicap – anytime you handicap Oregon State, it's can you stop the run? Their offensive line is excellent. Baylor and company can run the ball all over teams, and I, I don't think Utah State can stop the run here. Their run defense numbers aren't bad, but just look at who they've played this year. So I think Oregon State will have success running the ball. And then on the other side of the ball, Utah State cannot run the ball whatsoever. Now, they don't really 
want to run much, but the strength of the Oregon State defense is their secondary. You want to be able to run on this Oregon State team. I think that's the weakness of their defense, that underbelly of the defense. I think they could be vulnerable against the run. So I think this sets up as a good matchup for Oregon State. I think both teams do care. I think this line is super low for where I project it and, and my thoughts on Utah State. But maybe Logan Bonner and Topkins and company will come out here and shred. But I just think Oregon State will be the team that can more consistently move the ball on the ground. Their secondary is a strength of their defense, which is huge against Utah State. Anything? Any thoughts here on the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl? Jimmy Kimmel, L.A. Bowl. I actually took Utah State in the confidence pool. Low confidence told the I think straight up that they can win this game. And, and and when Oregon State's defense has so many bad numbers and you lose your top tackler, I think that's a pretty big deal. Sure. And, sure. I mean, let's also talk – let's clean up a couple other things with injuries. On the offensive side of the ball, the uh, questionables are, are backup running back to Sean Fenwick, you know, not nearly as elusive or breaking tackles. But starting left guard – Jake Levengood, he's also questionable for this game. I believe he had 346 snaps at left guard this year. So there's injuries on both sides of the ball here for Oregon State. And then if you want to get into trends, I know I've kind of mentioned this on the podcast, but I think there is a thing about preparing your team to travel on the road. Oregon State, one and five against the spread away from Corvallis. Utah State, six and one against the spread away from Logan. So one of these teams is way more comfortable on the road here. So we'll see how that plays out. My PR is at nine. I mean, I haven't put any money on down on this. I'm, I'm waiting because the number keeps steaming and it's just going to sit in a dead zone here. I think that there's going to be Oregon State money coming in up till kick. Uh, so I'm willing to take the last Utah State number before this closes down, which is why I've waited on it. But, you know, once you get past the injuries, Oregon State has been pretty bad on defense and on the road and defense bottom 10 in tackling, bottom 10 in defending the explosive pass and passing downs outside the top 100 in sack rate. So when you hear all these things, these tackling grades by the Beavers defense and the Utah State offense is sixth in standard downs explosiveness and they're 12th in passing downs explosiveness. This team from any down and distance, any down and distance can hit the home run. And it looks like against this Beavers defense, it's going to happen a lot. This tackling grade is so bad that if you could just hit anybody five yards down the field, you don't even have to mess with the coverage. You don't have to mess with the secondary. Uh, you can hit somebody and then let them do the rest because the tackling grade is so bad. You know, the one stat that really shocked me in this game, which I still I had to go and relook it up. I was like, did, did I somehow scrape it wrong? Utah State's second defensively in stuff rate. Well, I, I didn't know that on defense. This isn't a great rush defense, but they're getting the guys behind the line of scrimmage. So B.J. Baylor may get hit early for Oregon or for Oregon State, or he may break a big play, but he's going to get met in the backfield. It's just a matter of he can shed some guys off. There is a supreme advantage to Oregon State in scoring position. They're third in offensive finishing drives. I know we've played some overs on Oregon State just because when they get down there, they score touchdowns. They don't kick field goals. They score touchdowns. They're a leader running it. That's what you got to do. Yeah. I can see Oregon State scoring a lot. I can see Utah State hitting tons of explosive plays because the tackling has been so bad and the explosive defense of Oregon State and standard passing downs has not been that great. And I had no clue that Utah State was top 15 in explosiveness. So – I'm going to take Utah State. I'm going to see where this team takes us. No reason for me to act on seven and a half. I projected it at nine. I'd be happy to take them at nine. Uh, and Oregon State's going to be able to run, but their defense isn't going to be able to stop these explosive pass uh, uh, from Logan Bonner. So that's where I'm at here. You did raise the point. Utah State stuff, right? They can get into the backfield. That's their, their strength of their defense. But Oregon State, number one in line yards, number one in standard down line yards. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, number six in opportunity rate, number one in power success rate, number four in stuff rate, yeah. number seven in stack rate. So that's what they neutralize best. Uh, so fascinating matchup for sure. But I think I'm leaning the other way. I think we're on opposite sides there, but. Uh, or maybe we both maybe get the best. Took- maybe we both get the best number and it lands in the middle. We'll see. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's move on to the final game on Saturday night, the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl in New Orleans, Louisiana, between seven and five Marshall and twelve and one Louisiana. The Raging Cajuns are five point favorites over under fifty five. This game will be played at nine fifteen Eastern on ESPN. Motivational edge, I say, fairly even. The questions surrounding Louisiana, yeah, I, you would say maybe Marshall definitely is going to care Louisiana where are their heads at with their coach Billy Napier I know you won't say his name but he left he's far as new head coach scared money don't make money you know he won't be the coach for the bowl game that's new head coach Michael DeSormo he was promoted from the tight ends coach and co-defensive coordinator Napier said a small group of will stay on board to help through national signing day which is on December 15th and then he's taking a few staff members to Gainesville including defensive coordinator and outside linebackers coach Patrick Tony, running backs coach Jabber Jaluki, strength and conditioning coach Mark Hawk, and offensive analyst Ryan O'Hara. Additionally, a couple of recruiting staffers, director of football logistics, director of player personnel, also head to Florida, and uh, there's a couple others that might go as well. Big news here from a personnel standpoint, Grant, Grant Wells will play. The quarterback for Marshall, there were some questions there about injury, but he's good to go. Louisiana's leading rusher, Chris Smith, is out. That's big. They're one of their best defensive linemen, the run stuffer in the middle, Taylor Humphrey. He's out. That's big as well. You know, I Louisiana has been a tough team to crack this year. They seem to play up and down to competition no matter what. And then, you know, sometimes they just look really good. And sometimes they look pretty mediocre. Sometimes they look downright bad. Both teams are very good at running the ball and both defenses are worse against the run. And now you have Humphrey out for Louisiana. Uh, I've been lower on Louisiana than the market all year. It's, Worked out for me some and hurt me on others, but I make this game pretty much close to a pick. Mm-hmm. So I gladly took the points. I would take anything up to four, down to four with Marshall. Um, there's a chance here that Louisiana, you know, with all the coaching turmoil, just comes out a, a little flat here. I don't expect that to happen, but uh, I like I like Marshall here in this game. I think there's a lot of value in the line and. But I will admit Louisiana is just a, a tough nut to crack looking at some of their results this year. Yeah, I'm 100% behind you. I took Marshall on open at four and a half, and I was actually shocked to see the number go the other way, uh, you know, especially with the coaching turnover that's happening at Louisiana. Uh, but it has come back down, and we'll see where it goes from here, especially with Grant Wells. And I said, I, I, I know I put it in the notes on Action App, you know, that I might come back on this number if Grant Wells isn't playing. He is playing. I'm good. I'm sticking with Marshall. Uh, there's some things here, you know, uh, the, the Raging Cajuns, they can be attacked on defense or outside the top 100 in tackling. Uh, they have a really hard time against pass explosiveness. Their defense is 111th in line yards. So there's an avenue here. Uh, and if you can't get pressure on Grant Wells, he can hit his targets. And Charles Huff, who's not going to take the job at Duke, uh, he's going to be staying at Marshall. So this is, you know, big for him to, uh, to get this bowl win here. Um, I think there's just a lot of advantages. Uh, Louisiana, uh, you know, outside the top 100 and plenty of uh, defensive categories, 128th in, in defensive pass EPA. Uh, so if Grant, Hills wants, uh, Grant Wells wants to hit anybody deep, he's going to be able to do that. 
His offensive line is 20th in pass blocking. They're 20th in havoc allowed. Uh, I expect a very fast paced seventh in plays per minute. They're going to go up tempo on Louisiana all day. Uh, I think that might be the reason you see a little bit of a tick up in the total because uh, Louisiana can play that game with you. Uh, I once saw the coach that will not be named up by 50 on Ohio decide to go up tempo with uh, 30 seconds left. So that is a game that they can play and a game that I, I could see here. So uh, lean to the over. I like Marshall. I agree with you. I think this game is a pick. I would play it down to my projected number three and a half, four, just like you. I think we got the better coaching staff on, on the side of the thundering herd. All right. And let's wrap up with one final game on Monday, the Myrtle Beach Bowl between Old Dominion and Tulsa. This game is at 2.30 Eastern ESPN, so I'm sure everyone is going to want to bet it. Tulsa is a nine and a half point favorite here over under 52 and a half. From a motivational perspective, I guess I wouldn't really throw it one way or the other. I mean, both teams got to six wins in their finale. That's usually a sign of teams that will care. Like, you know, hey, we want to get the winning season. We got the bowl eligibility. Tulsa lost, did just lose a bowl game last year. Oh, last win came in 2016. Meanwhile, Old Dominion has only appeared in one bowl in program history. That came back in 2016. Obviously, I would think Tulsa cares a little bit, but there's no question Old Dominion cares about being here. Yeah. With the way they closed the season to get the bowl eligibility, they didn't even play last year. Ricky Ronnie's done a great job there, the ex- Penn State assistant who took over the head coaching job. So I know that they will care. I am starting to lean toward Old Dominion. It was a team I, I started playing at the end of the year. My numbers just could never catch up to them because I thought I had them so bad with my priors coming into the year. They just kept exceeding expectations, especially the defense, over and over again. I still need to sleep on this for a couple of days, I think, but uh, maybe you can – Push me one way or the other if you had a strong feeling. What do you got well, here? I mean, they started off the season one and six, and the biggest problem was turnovers. They cannot take care of the ball whatsoever. But <laughs> change quarterbacks, which helped a little bit. Change quarterbacks, and then all of a sudden you become an explosive passing team. You're making plays uh, on special teams. I don't feel like the overall season numbers, if I start citing them from an offensive side of the ball, justifies what this team really is. I mean, winning their final games and covering – I had to pull them from the power ratings wreck of being down around New Mexico state and get them up to like a Georgia state level type level there. I mean, they've had a, a pretty amazing pull here at the end, uh, but you're right. This game, my power rate at seven and a half. Uh, I hit old dominion immediately at eight. I would probably hit them again at nine. If I start to feel more comfortable about it. And a lot of the handicap, like I said, I think you can take old dominion stats and throw them out because they made changes, but you know, we've now got uh, Hayden Wolf, at quarterback. I mean, the passing attack, he's, 18 to nine, big time throw to turnover worthy plays. Uh, the kid at quarterback has been fantastic. Uh, there's something that bothers me about Tulsa here locally. We thought he was going to get fired. I, they I won in overtime and covered against Tulane after Tulane missed a field goal. <laughs> they won by six. God, I'm so tired of overtime. Thing, it's a good thing they sell beer down at Skelly. Philip Montgomery was going to get fired. All right. I mean, he was RG3's quarterback coach down at Baylor. Uh, he got this job at Tulsa. He had a couple of really bad years and he refused to fire his defensive coordinator, which had been in college football for like 40 years. He brings in defensive coordinator, Joseph Gillespie, Tulsa all of a sudden is a major player in their conference. You know, we saw what they were last year. One of the best, you know, was Zayvon Collins. I mean, that was all Joseph Gillespie. And now he has left TU to go do that same role at TCU. That is a great hire by TCU. But that really gives me pause on some of these Tulsa defensive numbers that I see here. 27th and tackling. That is a stat category that is pure coaching. So do these practices, does it kind of tail off? 
you know, I look at some of the other numbers, the top 25 and in, in defending the big play. Is that going to stick around? We don't know. Sixth and pass rush. Are they still going to be there? Are they, you know, I mean, are they going to have a new scheme or advantage? The whole defensive coordinator, Joseph Gillespie, worries me. Now, on the other side of the ball with Davis Brennan and his protection, because he gets a little wild with the football and havoc allowed, the offensive line coach, Zach Hansen, is left for USC. Philip Montgomery is not a hands-on coach. He is not a guy that's coaching all these positions. He is a guy that has needed these guys to come in to make this a stable program. And with those coaches leaving, and this is a very motivated old Dominion team and a, and a Ricky, Ricky Rain you know, head coach after what happened with the pandemic and not playing, in my opinion, I, I think Old Dominion is just the better bet here. I, I mean, I can sit here and tell you that the spread, I make it seven and a half and there's no value in the eight. But at the same time, I see two teams trending in opposite directions, completely opposite. I know Tulsa won their final three, but look at the schedule. I think these two teams are heading in completely different directions. I'm going to back Hayden Wolf here. Uh, 18 big time throws is a big deal. Uh, only nine turnover worthy plays means he makes great decisions. And these Old Dominion numbers just got better and better over time defensively. They're 22nd in pass coverage, so I don't expect Tulsa and Davis Brown to be able to do anything against that. They're a little bit light when it comes to defending the rush, but Tulsa's 106th in, in rushing success rate. So I don't see Tulsa doing much here. I see Old Dominion, the more motivated team. I took Old Dominion in the bull confidence pool. I would happily just grab a, a number here in the dead zone, and um, I, I look forward to cheering on the Monarchs pretty hard on uh, on my birthday, 1220. Pretty excited. Oh, nice. Happy early birthday. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely be taking them at plus 10. And yeah, I mean, look, it makes sense that they would improve as the season went on. They didn't play last year, right? So, uh, and then, you know, going from DJ Mack to Wolf has been just a world of difference. Just Here's some of the numbers. Mack, 51% completion percentage, 5.1 yards per attempt, five touchdowns and seven interceptions in 170 attempts. Wolf in 225 attempts. 62% completion percentage, over 10% higher, 7.8 yards per attempt, almost three yards higher, 10 touchdowns and six interceptions. So it's been uh, a world of difference. Yeah, that, was the, that was the impossible thing, Stuck. When you and I, when we were doing preseason pods, it's like, what do we do with Old Dominion? Because we knew that Mac, when he was at Central Florida, the kid is built like a tank. He is a first and goal machine, right? Just let him line up and run it in. But he doesn't, his arm was very questionable. But now we've got a quarterback that makes really good decisions in the pocket, can really sling the ball. And the old Dominion offense is flourishing underneath that after starting off one and six. So I'm glad they have an identity. I'm glad they're here and I can't wait to watch them. But yeah, you're right with Matt. It was, they had three different quarterbacks that did three different things uh, very well. And none of them did the same thing even just, you know, vanilla. I mean, this was a really hard team to handicap, but they do have an identity now, and Hayden Wolf is that identity. Yep. All right, there you have it. Nine bowls between Friday and Monday wrapped up. Again, we will have part two coming out on Monday. We'll cover the bowls from Tuesday through Christmas. There's seven bowls. By the way, make sure you leave a review. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Big bets on campus. I'll do some giveaways next podcast since we're only doing seven bowls for some of the reviews. So if you do one between now and then, it's a good chance you might get some free gear. But before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, let's give just some thoughts, some quick rambling thoughts on bowl confidence pools. You know, if there's there's an against a spread one and there's a regular straight up one you can do, there's all different types. Uh, I tweeted, tweeted out a couple bowls that I'm running. Um, you can find them on my Twitter. I'll tweet them out again tomorrow. But... What I like to do personally, if you're just doing this for pure entertainment, I think that you want to 
stack your most of your points at the end and then you're in it for as long as as possible right your maximum points that's just if you want to do it for fun right and it, i and i will admit a lot of the games towards the end of bowl season you can better handicap motivation uh but if you're trying to win it just throughout and um then you obviously want to pick the winners and try to find where the most value is. And I mentioned, you know, if you're doing a straight up pool, if you want to take some shots, the shots that I'm taking, UTEP, especially if Hainer doesn't play, we'll talk about this later. Cincy, uh, so those are two of my uh, longer shots. And with those, you know, like everyone is going to have Alabama winning. Everyone is going to have Fresno winning. So you don't need to get too crazy with those, right? That's another thing to keep in mind because if everyone's going to have them in a straight up pool, if everyone is going to have them at 40, 38, you don't need to, you know, go 40 or 38 on those because you're going to pick up a lot of points on the pool just by having those teams very low on your confidence rating. But in an against the spread pool, I have both those teams very high. Anyway, give, give some thoughts that you have. I, I think you have to assess the room. You have to take the temperature. What I mean by that is, is if you're in a pool with a, with with some buddies, yeah, is it sharper square? <clears throat> yeah, is it sharper? How square? big is it? How big is it? Because and, and if you're in a very large pool, you're gonna have to take some shots, and that's the way yeah. that I wrote the bull confidence piece. Is like, yeah, I think that we're gonna take UTEP and assign them six points, even though they're a huge underdog. Yeah, we're gonna take Old Dominion. We're gonna assign them twelve points, even though they're a huge underdog. You're gonna have to take your shots at certain points. Do I think there's any chance in this world Mississippi State and Mike Leach loses to Texas Tech? God, no. So I'm going to give them a very, very high rating. Uh, and I think you need to respect the fact when some games have questions. Is Kenny Pickett playing? I don't know. And according to Pat Narduzzi, nobody's going to tell us until the night before the bowl game. So even though you might like a side of Michigan State pit, I don't know how you put any confidence behind either team. It doesn't matter who you like. So information is key. Matchups are key. Army right? Going up against a Missouri defense that is one of the worst in the nation against the rush. That is going to be tough sledding. So you want to assign a certain point value too. Same thing with Air Force going up against Louisville. What is LSU doing at quarterback, right? Is Doug Neusmeyer going to burn a red shirt or is he not going to have to burn a red shirt? And because this game is almost a month away, I assigned it a low, bold confidence. Uh, what but is Texas A&M doing? I mean, they might run wildcat. I, yeah, I submitted the piece and then I had to pull it back out of the pool to our editors because Zach Calzada decided to put himself in the portal. Are you kidding me? Who gives a shit? We got Zach Calzada. What are we doing here? You, you know, you have to investigate each one of these. And I, I would just say assess the room. If it's your buddies and it's a small pool, just take straight favorites, right? Maybe a couple shots here and there. But if it's a smaller room and it's it, it's a softer crew, just stick with the big, just stick with the favorites. Now, if you're in with a lot of people, you're going to take some shots, take some calculated shots, read the market, see where the line disagrees see where numbers look funny, see where there's maybe some reverse line movement or maybe there's, uh, you know, some whispers out about people transferring or not playing or coaches, whatever. And, and, and so I think that's the best thing I can say is, is, you know, the larger the pool, the bigger the shots you're going to have to take. Yep. Make sure you check out Colin's piece out there on actionnetwork.com and the action network app. All right. For second down, I just have some very, Quick thoughts on a Friday night game. We already talked about the two bowl games on Friday, but there is an FCS game between the semifinals of this weekend. One's on Saturday, one's on Friday. North Dakota State and James Madison. North Dakota State's a five and a half point home favorite. 
in the Fargo Dome, where they hardly ever lose. Although I think James Madison won in the semifinals the year they won it all, I think, 2016. This is the last raw for JMU. They're going to the FBS level. I really like JMU plus five and a half if, especially if, I like them plus five and a half, but especially if Christian Watson, who's going to get drafted in mid-round traffic, their All-American receiver, doesn't play. He hasn't played the first two playoff games. They've also lost their All-American tight end injury. North Dakota State, all they've been doing is running. Their quarterback's pretty underwhelming performances in the playoffs, especially without Watson out there. James Madison has the beef up front and the run defense to slow down this North Dakota State rushing attack. And especially Watson's out there, you can completely sell it against the run. On the other side of the ball, James Madison has much better receivers. They can attack this very young North Dakota State secondary. So I'm, I got my eyes on Watson. If he's out Friday night, we're going to be playing some James Madison plus five and a half. I think this game should be closer to a pick under a field goal. Um, but if Watson's out, I mean, it's just you lost your all America. The, the weapons on the outside, it just comes so one dimensional. And James Madison's run defense is legit. All right. Uh, you don't have any thoughts, FCS, do you? No, I mean, I completely agree with you. I'm just saying, watch the game anyways, because the Dukes are going to be a part of the Sun Belt. So get familiar with the team real soon, because we got some new entries into the FBS coming real soon. All right. Before we get out of here on third down, let's give our favorite bet of the weekend in bowls. Uh, I'm going to start with. Uh, game we talked about to kick off the episode, and that's Toledo minus 10 against Middle Tennessee. This Middle Tennessee State team, I think, is a lot of smoke and mirrors. They, you know, had 10 return touchdowns, led the nation, led the nation in takeaways, led, you know, recovered re- 15 of 20 fumbles on the year. They've just been very fortunate in the turnover department. They could be pushed around up front. That's exactly how Toledo wants to move the ball with Kobach and company. On the other side of the ball, they're down to the third and fourth string options at quarterback going up against arguably the best non-power five defense out there in Toledo, which really has no weaknesses. And on top of all that, the one weakness of Toledo's offense is their pass protection. Middle Tennessee doesn't get after the quarterback. Maybe some windy conditions as well just would heavily favor the superior rushing offense and defense. I just think this line is way too low. I make it over two touchdowns. The one concern, early bowl, would there be motivation questions with Toledo? Always a question in these early bowls. If they don't show up, sure, they could lose. But they haven't won a bowl since 2015. Very experienced team. They showed me down the stretch they still care. I think they come out here and take care of business in a very good matchup. Give me the Rockets. How about you? Favorite bet of the weekend? I like that one. I am going to stick with a Friday night game, and I am going to take – Coastal Carolina team total over 37. This is a Northern Illinois defense that is one of the worst in the nation. So many defensive stats that are outside the top 100. Some of them are almost dead last. And this is Grayson McCall's swan song for the chance, this team that we loved during the pandemic, this team that we loved this year. Uh, He has come out and said, my only goal is to win this bowl game. And I'll see you in college football next year, which means he is hitting the transfer portal right after this game. His relationship with the players and the staff and Jamie Chadwell, who's never won a bowl game before, is extremely important to him. And I think everything that he has 
from an EPA perspective, from his explosiveness, the way that he runs an offense, the fact that Coastal Carolina is number one in the nation in big play or their sixth in line yards or, you know, their passing attack that they have. They can go slow and drain clock. They can hit explosive plays and beat you up with a ton of points early, and they're going to do that to this Northern Illinois defense. I want to avoid this voodoo that Northern Illinois had all year. They do have a decent rushing attack, and they can take advantage of a Coastal Carolina defense that's been a little bit susceptible in the front seven to giving up the rush. I want to avoid all that completely with this point spread and that backdoor being open by saying that this Northern Illinois defense just does not have a chance to stop one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, a name we are going to be saying a lot next year when it comes to Heisman odds and Grayson McCall. Uh, give me the chance to go over their team total at 37. All right, there you have it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And again, we'll have three more bowl previews starting with one next Monday that will cover the games through Christmas. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. May the COVID variants be on your side throughout bowl season. Let's close out the year strong. Thanks again, as always, for listening. Thanks, Colin, for joining me. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, leave a review. Let's have a weekend, and we'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.